Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of The Orville, or Star Trek The Orville, as I like to call it. Uh, We may spoil parts of the first half of the first season of Discovery. I can't imagine making it through this discussion without an awful lot of talk about Star Trek. Yeah. And rest assured, we're probably not going to spoil... Single thing about Family Guy, because I don't watch it. I don't think you do either. Never watched an episode. So I came into this really, I was kind of aware Seth MacFarlane was out there, but didn't really know about him or his work. You know, the only thing I can recall having ever seen him on was a tribute show. And I'm trying to remember if it was uh, to Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra. Uh, but he did a singing number. He apparently sings some of the standards and stuff. I he, he did an amazing job, and it wasn't just that he captured that Rat Pack era flavor and stuff, but he had clearly studied the original performance, and it was like traveling back in time. It was amazing. He was on a talk show recently talking about how the Orville's getting a second season, and he was also going to sing a number, but they didn't have that on YouTube, so I didn't mm. catch that. And it's interesting because... The way they promoted this show, I was expecting it to be just a complete send-up of Star Trek. Complete spoof, sitcom I was surprised it was an hour long. Um, remind me of the movie that, uh... Galaxy Quest. There you go. That's what I was thinking it was going to be along the lines of. Exactly. Galaxy Quest, the series, essentially. Yeah. And agreed, I thought it would be half hour, because I thought it would be more sitcom I also thought it'd be short-lived. It's like, okay, we get the joke. Yes. But then we watched the first episode, the pilot and stuff. Well, and let's just start with the visuals of it. I like the uniforms. Well, it was when we watched it in everything from the opening credits. They're very, very they're Very Star deep Trek. space nine. Yes, but very Trek, very space show, very clear to understand. You know what show you think you're going to get from those opening credits. Well, I think you could almost do shot for shot. Well, this one's out of Voyager. This reminds me of Next Gen or whatever. Yeah. And not in a bad way. I mean... No, in an old home week kind of way. Well, the visuals are amazing. Yes. The soundtrack is very evocative of Trek. Yeah. Uh, the, as are the set designs, the costumes, even aspects of the aliens. Yeah. And not to say it's it's... Is it derivative of Star Trek is the question. Absolutely. Yeah, but... But not in a bad way. They're doing all of it in the best nostalgia. Like I said, old homework, you feel comfortable. It's like going to the proverbial high school reunion, bumping into all the people you hung out with in high school, and picking up in the middle of the last conversation you were having with them. It's as much an homage and a love letter to Trek as anything else. Yeah. And and that's what's working for me. It's interesting, though, because when we watched that first pilot, and I think also the second episode when we watched that, we both 
got done with it, we looked at each other. It's like, I liked it, but I'm a little confused. Is it Trek? Is it parody of Trek? Is it which which of the two notes is it trying to, to hit? Because at times it was hitting both and it was a little schizophrenic. Yes. Well, and part of that's the sense of humor. There's an almost sophomoric aspect to the sense of humor, more so at the beginning, less so at the end. Yeah. Because by the end, there were a couple of things they were doing that I actually found pretty funny. Yeah, by the end, they seem to have had a better understanding of what their strengths were, Mm -hmm. and they were playing to their own strengths as a show. Yes. I'm expecting it will have a second... I know it has a second season, but I'm expecting that second season to be much stronger. Yeah. Because I think they'll go in having these 10 episodes to look at and say, what worked, what didn't, where did we go right, where did we go wrong, what are our strengths? Mm -hmm. And I think... I mean, they've got Brandon Braga, Seth MacFarlane's a very talented writer and actor in this. Yes. They've got a solid foundation, even if it was a little uncertain as to the the tone and style. But if they come out going a little bit more, I don't want to say serious track, but spiritual track with a sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, I think they could have just an absolutely amazing second season. Well, they understand a lot of... Trek's approach in terms of social commentary, etc. Yes. There were a few episodes where we got to the end, and I'm like, and then they missed the landing. I'm thinking specifically of the episode with the upvotes and the downvotes. Yeah, that was one that I think they could have, they had a good concept. They had great social commentary concept. But they could have sold it a little bit better as to how it developed. And they could have ended on a cleaner note. The ending they gave that episode was don't vote and tune out. And that wasn't the message they were trying to send based on what they said leading up to it. Yeah. Leading up to it, they were trying to say don't vote basically from the gut without facts. Get information and be an informed voter. Well, and I think you were taking it very much from a almost voting politics point of view, whereas I think they were treating it as the Facebook like-dislike kind of... They were treating it as everything. Well, no, they they merged the two, absolutely. But that was kind of my problem with it also, is treating the Facebook thumbs up as being equivalent to political voting. Right, but I think the tune out of the Facebook thumbs up, thumbs down is a very different message than tune out of politics in voting. True, but they were just... Because they had equated the two. Absolutely. They sent the message of tune out. Yeah, the, t- the, the two messages became synonymous, even though the, the meaning is very different. Yes. And, and like I said, for me, they didn't land the ending the way they meant to. Yes. But I think part of it was a little bit of a, a confusing, what exactly do these up and downs mean? How exactly does this work? They had a concept, but they didn't really push it through to full fruition. Yeah. Whereas they had a few others where I thought, like this last one where the planet's got 700 years. To our 11 days. To our 11 days when it goes to this other uh, reality. They thought it through. It worked well. We saw how it played out. Yeah. Um, Well, and there were just some great correlations to the evolution of uh, Judaism, Christianity. They didn't quite bring in the Muslim faith, but pretty close in terms of adding profits, etc. Um, so I thought they did some great correlations to Earth, and then just pointing out 
that some things are going to happen no matter what word or label you put on it. Mm -hmm. Every planet or every culture is going to have a religion. It was very interesting because it was very much a prime directive episode. Yes. yes. And the term they used was cultural contamination. Which was a good phrase. Well, prime directive is also probably de facto trademarked, if not literally trademarked. True. But what I thought was interesting is they were very much in the spirit of cultural contamination like that is bad, but also at the end of the day, it's kind of not a big deal in so much as some of this was going to happen under somebody's name or another. Yes. Don't stress out over it. It was, I don't want to say thumb in their nose at Star Trek, but it was one of those where, again, a little bit of a mixed message. It was definitely a mixed message, but it was also the point of we're all going to have religions. Every society, every every planetary culture, whatever, goes through certain phrases. It's a natural thing. Yeah. And again, uh, you didn't set us off on a bad course. You just chose the name of it effectively. Exactly. You didn't introduce the devil and switch us from Christianity to sat satanic worship. Mm -hmm. All you did was label or give a name to our God. Well, and it's, again, not like they gave him advanced technology that blew up the planet or yeah. something like that. Well, and going back to earlier, you were saying we might uh, mention Trek. There was the Next Gen episode where uh, Picard was mistaken for being a god because mm -hmm. uh, he was up in the uh, anthropologist's, I guess, overlook and was seen by the locals and got shot by the arrow and survived. Uh, and then in the 700 years cycle also when we have Isaac go down mm -hmm. and because he's the artificial life form and stay for 700 years we had a Voyager episode yeah, with the doctor going and stuff yeah it's funny because there are a lot of things where it's like this is their version of that episode yeah but I would say in most of those cases and there's a certain recency bias in this but I would almost say their version was a little bit better because there were a couple of things I thought this was a really good exploration of the Prime Directive in almost a time-lapse version. Yeah. It wasn't a perfect episode or whatever, but... Well, and I guess that's my thing. They did a lot of really interesting things, but in most episodes, I came out with a... I wish the final scene had been a little different. No, and I agree with some of your comments. If they had just reordered this and that, or if they'd cleaned this up a little bit or changed the well, message they sent. And the reordered this and that was something I commented when we watched the final episode. I wished they had flip-flopped the final two scenes. Yeah. So the uh, season would have ended on a more upbeat note. Because I felt both of the things they did at the end of the episode were important, were good for characters. But I think having the people from the planet come and visit the ship and say their piece would have served well as the cap on the episode. Yeah. I think they've captured the social commentary of Trek, certainly the style and, and look mm -hmm. of Trek. I mean, their their uniforms look a little different, but they feel Trek-ish. They feel Trek-ish. I like them. They're kind of uh, what Next Gen evolved into with the jackets. Mm -hmm. I like having... The shoulder bars. What got me with the shoulder bars is it's like a, a clear kind of white plastic, unless you're an admiral, where it's got the blue star or whatever. I just, I would like to have seen something where they had, like, crashed a shuttle in the water, had to go out into the life raft, do the whole airline evacuation kind of spoof, and then it turns out those light up at night. 
That's funny. But I mean, you can see where they were drawing their inspiration from on a lot of these things, sometimes very directly, mm -hmm. but also a few places where they went in a very different direction. They don't have turbo lifts. They've got long hallways. You, you're at, when you look from the main view screen down the bridge towards the captain stuff, behind it's this long hallway and stuff. Right off to the side, there are these these uh, staircases down to the next floor or whatever, spiral staircase and stuff. Yeah. It's almost got a little bit of a cruise ship kind of a feel to it. Mm -hmm. And they've, in the space of 10 episodes, we don't know exactly the layout of the ship and stuff like that, but we've got a decent sense. We've seen a, a surprising amount of it. Yeah. Sick bay, uh, the cargo bay, engineering, uh, the mess hall, uh, the, the crew quarters, the bridge a uh, couple of science labs or whatnot, and we've seen people in their off hours, we've seen how they socialize, gotten some interesting stuff on a few of the races mm -hmm. uh, that are involved, and while a few of them are, okay, Isaac's the equivalent of Data, he's an artificial android, but oh, there's a whole society of him, okay, so that's a little different. Well, and he's kind of an ironic character. In terms of he comes from a society of artificial intelligence life forms that believe they're superior and basically there's no point in having organic life forms. But he wants to study organic life forms and understand them, even though he knows they're inferior and shouldn't exist. But you could argue most of these characters are something of a mishmash of other of, of Trek characters. Oh, definitely. But I just, I liked the irony they put on him. Mm -hmm. And I liked that he was very openly. Data Data was studying the humans on board, but not Data as was open Pinocchio. Yes. Whereas this is the smug superior race. Yes. And he's the less smug version of it, but still, I'm way smarter than you. It's just a fact. I liked it when they brought in the doctor's kids, mm -hmm. and those kids bonded with Isaac, whether he wanted it or not. Well, and then seeing that a little bit later play yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, those kids were in another episode for the sole purpose of saying, yes, this did exist and had ramifications. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to see a couple of other crew members beyond just the bridge, and one or two have uh, exited the show. Yeah. Maybe to come back, maybe not, don't know. But there's a little bit of kind of world building and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and to that end, we've got our enemy. Got the enemy, the crew. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the crew, we've also got the guy with the big bulb head or whatever. They yeah. One time they're encountering him all the time. And the, the I guess they do have the, the turbo lift elevator kind of a thing. But not as the ubiquitous get yes. around everywhere. Yeah. And that was a, hmm, we should put music in this thing. Yes. It's, it's fun how it is almost a repaint of Trek having grabbed the right parts of it and it's not just a cheese all they did is repaint it and it's uninspired or something no mm -hmm. it's it's got its own sensibilities to it its own yeah. style but it's something that if you were to have aired this show in a universe where star trek had never existed i'm curious how it would have been received yeah because some of it works well because you've got the trek to bounce off of yeah conceptually other parts uh, could probably... I mean, it stands alone on its own, I think. Well. Oh, it does. It does. And would it work... In some cases, it would work better without, you know, the original series, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, Discovery, etc. Because, oh, all these things are new and original. Uh, in other cases, it benefits from having that to, to say, well, we're doing it our way. Yeah. But the other thing that amazed me is there have been a few episodes where even 
after all of that Star Trek stuff, they still found something new to, to kind of go do. Well, I felt they did that with uh, going aboard the Krill ship in terms of interacting yeah. with the Krill kids. That was one where I felt they did land the ending because they had the uh, the Krill woman in the sick bay talking to the captain. And she's asking him, why did you save the children? Mm -hmm. He's saying, I mean, they were innocent children. They they were not warriors out to kill us yet. And she's saying, yeah, but you just created enemies by saving them. And the way that whole scene played out at the end of how that episode had been playing out was really beautifully done. Well, and again, it was social commentary. Yeah. On how kind of as Americans, we almost inadvertently are creating our own enemies at times. Yeah. Because we'll go bomb some village or something and the surviving kids are going to grow up to hate us. Yeah. We bombed their village. I get it. Yeah. Well, and even if we say, but we didn't bomb the school, we didn't bomb the mosque, we didn't bomb, you know, the civilian places, but we still killed their family members, even if their family members were in the midst of committing crimes against us. Mm -hmm. And that's how we inadvertently create the enemies. So it, it was really beautifully done. Yeah. Going after legit military targets still has... Has consequences. Consequences, yeah. Yeah. The other one I thought was really interesting that Trek had never really done was the two-dimensional space. That was impressive. I, I liked their view of a two-dimensional space. I also liked the reference of Flatland, mm. which, it, I mean, that is a story about a sphere, a three-dimensional sphere that goes down to two-dimensional space where he's a circle. And it's just, what's going on here kind of a thing? How does this work? Yeah. And it's a it it's it's a quick read. It's not that many pages and whatnot, and it's something that shows how in three dimensional space you've got one perspective on things, and how in two dimensional space because there's this other perspective you just don't have a frame of reference for. You know, mm -hmm. It's easier to go down than to go up, but it then takes that up into a hypercube, a four dimensional space. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's a a great kind of thought exercise. And the way they, you know, envisioned it or whatnot uh, was a lot of fun. It was it was good. Yeah. They've got uh, one character that is a, uh, a CG character of um, Yafit, the, the gel character. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a lot of fun. We talked about Isaac, the artificial one. We've mm -hmm. got Bordis, who's uh, trying to... Th he, to me, he's... Worf. Worf. I mean... The stoic, you know, mm -hmm. warrior race or whatever but they've taken him in a different direction than Worf would have gone he's it's an all-male race he's got a husband they've got a kid well and through the kid they really showed the compassion yeah the heart they've taken a lot of the standard trek uh types of characters and pushed the boundaries a little bit here and there yeah you know the only thing i think they haven't done directly is the uh i don't say the handicapped character but kind of like Jordy with the visor and, and something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think the guy they had as the pilot pretty much went on the Jordy track to become chief engineer. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can't watch the show and think they've never seen Trek. In a few cases, like Brandon Braga, they've worked on Trek. Uh, and in the case of Robert Picardo, who had a guest spot for a you know, small scene, P2 has worked on Trek. Yeah. Um, but they've, they've taken, like I said, the right parts of it, uh, the social commentary and those aspects 
feel a lot more iconic Trek yeah. than like Discovery does. Yeah, I agree. If you're looking for, if you've watched Discovery and think, gosh, it's, it's a little darker, a little more dystopic, it's too war, it's, it's ba- too much on the Klingons, whatever. I just want a simpler, happier Trek. Yes. This, I'm not going to say it's necessarily simpler, because some of the times it's like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, it's It's got that happier Trek. Well, the episode where uh, Ed and Kelly get abducted, mm-hmm. that one was surprisingly good. That was a good one. I also like the one where it turned out the security officer was putting herself through a simulation. Yeah. What blew me away with that one is at one point where it's like, okay, at some point we shifted to an unreliable narrator. This isn't happening. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how they're going to back out, but, you know, the the holodeck sort of a thing was almost a given. Um, But when they do the reveal, we see her running down a hallway. We kind of pan up, and now we're from... Uh, the viewing deck that we hadn't seen before in the holodeck area. Yeah. Looking down. And it's funny because you can, it's it's like an overhead view on a video game. You see her running down the corridor. She's running in place. The corridors is what's moving. Yeah. And it's like, this is how they always said it worked on Star Trek. The Orville is showing us how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as, as solid as the acting and as solid as the writing is, and both of those are, are top notch. The effects are yeah, just, they're outdoing themselves. Yeah. That was something they could have found simpler, cheaper ways to do, but I really like how they went that extra effort, and it's like, no, no, this let's, let's illustrate how this works. Yeah. And even if that illustration was almost lifted out of a Star Trek technical guide, they were the ones who put it on screen first. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. Uh, we got the spatial anomalies. We got the uh, time travel... Uh, trying to think what other classic Trek motifs we've gotten. We brokered peace between two alien races that were fighting over a planet. Yeah, yeah. There's a handful of, of standard Trek plots, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if in the course of the 10, they went through most of them. We had the shuttle that went missing. Shuttle that goes missing. The, um, the, the let's stay on the ship for the whole episode a few times. Yeah. But it never felt like we should be moving elsewhere. Yeah. It never felt like a cost-cutting yeah. kind of thing. Um, we went to the home planet of a crew member, mm-hmm. Bordas. Yeah. That was a shockingly good episode, actually. There was a few places in that I was expecting him to go a different way than they went. Uh, when it turned out his kid was, was female, and it's highly unusual, and uh, the captain's like, Isaac, do a scan of, of the planet. Yeah. I expected it to be a pretty widespread problem. That half the planet had been, but everybody in secret was, you know, or something like that. Uh, and when they found the other one and got her into uh, uh, the the tribunal or whatever, so that's one generation. Bordis's uh, spouse had been yes. female and fixed. That's another generation. Now their kid. And I'm like, what are the odds of the one of every generation being in the same room at the same time? Well, and uh, the the one from that they went and found from the older generation being uh, the planet's most famous poet but having published under a male name, etc. One of the noted thought leaders of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice touch. Yeah, particularly the way they revealed it was she had some quote in the tribunal guys like, 
how dare you borrow the words of thus and so. She's like, who said I'm borrowing? Yes, yes. Um, there have been a couple of really good reveals and a couple of really good lines like that over the, the run. Yeah. There have still been, again, enough of the episodes where I'd come out of it wondering, you know, because they would do all that, but then they would also have the part where, you know, they realize Bordis can eat anything. It's like, could you eat a spoon? Could you eat a napkin? Could you eat this? It's like, dudes. Yeah. That's, that's sophomoric. It's, it's, it's lame. Yeah. Uh, when they do the prank war with, with Isaac and Gordon. That, that one didn't work for me. No. No, and part of it was that they did not define prank very well to Isaac. Yeah. So there's but some of those. No, let's go the flip side of that. Because I think it was the final episode where Gordon just pipes up with, what if I got a cat for the bridge? And at first I'm thinking, okay, we're back down to the sophomore. This yeah. isn't going to go anywhere good. But when Isaac is, well, why a cat? What well, do you get? bonding with a lower life form kind of a thing. You pet it. It soothes you. And then at the end of the scene, Gordon realizes Isaac has come over and is petting his arm. And to the actor's credit, he's given Isaac a look of, you know, I, I, I kind of, he sees what's going on, doesn't like what's going on, but can't argue what's going on. Yes. Like, this is creepy, this is wrong, but I do get it. And the guy playing Isaac deadpan asks, are we bonding? Now, of course, the deadpan is, he's got a full face kind of mask on. There so. is that, but... It was just one of those classic straight lines. Yeah. You know, so they did improve the humor. Well, and it's funny because there was a time or two at the beginning where Ed's like, can you move a little to the left to the guy on the view screen? Yes. You're not dead center. That I'm like, geez, that's lame. But then uh, in the final uh, episode where they're on the, uh, the comm with uh, the Admiral. Yes. And he thinks she's hung up. He mocks her, and she's like, excuse me? And he's like, oh, God. <laughs> yes, yes. That I actually did think was funny. Yes. So I think they got a, a little bit better about how they did some of those to make uh, the captain seem a lot less neurotic. Yes. But I do think the humor kind of evolved a little bit. And to me, that's making fun of the situation the characters are in, whereas I thought some of the earlier stuff was a mockery of... Uh, kind of the conventions of Trek. Yeah, yeah. So I want them to have a sense of humor. I want them to keep the characters relatable, not as um, emotionless as Trek often can be. Well, and I thought they actually did well uh, in the episode where the security chief ends up in the simulation where she's in a boxing gym on the holodeck. And I guess uh, Kelly and the doctor come in to confront her. And so they're basically making it take longer than Alara's allotted time. And Gordon and John show up in basically Hamilton era. Wigs, they're ready to go era. duel and stuff. Yes. They're like, what's the point of even having reservations? <laughs> yes. And so they go back out in the hallway. And I'm like, okay, that was just funny. The, you can you didn't see them walking the hallways in the wigs, but you got the feeling of it. Well, and the funny thing is, they apparently went out, headed off to the left, and must have gone around a corner. Yes. Because after Kelly and the doctor leave, Bordis comes in. Yes. Am I early? Yes, and he's got the same wig and dueling pistol and Victor. 
you know, 1800s wardrobe, and the alien in that costume was hilarious. I like that better than when uh, Mercer was with uh, Gordon and John on the holodeck, or whatever they're calling it, and they're doing the Old West kind of a thing. Yes. And the guy's, let's have a dance-off. Really? Yes. That just, that fell flat for me. That was just a, somebody decided they could mess with the settings. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Gordon who did that, but it's, they've got, like I said, a a solid cast of characters. Uh, I think the actors are doing a great job with it. Yeah. Um, There's just a couple of places where, particularly earlier, uh, it felt a little schizophrenic. Yeah. Well, they've got a solid set of unique characters. Which is nice. It's not a case of, I mean, there were times before they moved John up to chief engineer where John and Gordon were a little interchangeable. Yes. The goofball buddies. Yes. But to a degree, you needed a goofball buddy for Gordon because the captain shouldn't be that. Yeah. I actually might have gone with um, a series of different people in that other role uh, of the pilot or whatever as kind of the extras. They'd be there for the episode. He'd buddy around with them. They'd get in trouble. We'd never see the other person again. <laughs> yeah. And just n- don't, not really point that out until you get to the end of the season and somebody's like, what happened to lieutenants or ensigns X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. And Gordon's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But kind of they'd always taken the fall for him or whatever. Yeah. That could have... Because I think it, you could do that and it would take a while for most of the audience to catch on as to what's happening yes and then there'd be the implication well is ed covering for him what's going on here yes you know it's uh no i think they put together a pretty good set of characters nobody feels extraneous yeah and there are a couple of times where we've got you know almost all of them on the bridge so it would be easy for a few to feel extraneous yeah it's gonna be interesting to see if they do any cast changes for the next season Mm-hmm. Again, I don't feel they need to, but I really want to see them come out of the gate next time with uh, just a really strong first episode. Mm-hmm. And if they've they've clarified the tone, yeah, uh, I think they could go from there and just have a, a series of really strong episodes and show us what you know Star Trek could and should be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's certain parts of the humor I don't want in Star Trek, but I like having it here. Yes. Well, and that's the thing is I like the Orville as the Trek sensibilities with a relaxed off duty and some humor to it. Not the sophomore beginning of the season, but the end of the season humor. At the end, I felt it was Star Trek as inhabited by people like us. Yes. Whereas at the beginning, I felt it was Star Trek as inhabited by castaways from sitcoms. Yes. The wacky buddy. Yeah. You know, the drunk, the... Yeah. You know, so... Well, and at the beginning of the season, they were showing episodes out of order. Well, and in fairness, we watched one or two out of order of our own accord. Yeah, but when we were watching them in airing order, and we would get a comment, and we're going... Well, particularly between the Doctor and Yafit. Yes. There was one or two of those where clearly they had swapped the order. Yeah. And then you get the next episode and it's, okay, now the comment from last week makes sense. So on the one hand, they did a lot of episodes that stood well on their own, but they had some subplot level interactions 
that we're building and Yafit and the Doctor being the big example. I would say that's a good example and uh, Ed and Kelly. Yeah. Being another one, I'm trying to think. Well, the other place where uh, the out of order came into play was uh, Clyden and Bordas. Because they were having a big fight for seemingly no reason. And then the next week we found out that they were having a fight because uh, they had a daughter and were trying to decide if their daughter should be a son. I couldn't tell if that was an out-of-order thing or something that was meant to kind of foreshadow. It was an out-of-order thing okay. from why I could tell. There were a couple of times they did, uh, I think it was with those two at the replication stuff that's a, kind of a public area early on. And again, we get to see some areas that we don't normally see on, again, a Star Trek-type show. Yeah. This is where you would replicate your shirts or your, whatever, you know, the bigger items. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it's a public area until Border says, get the hell out of here. Yes. Well, and uh, in the episode where they're disagreeing about uh, whether or not they should force their daughter to have the surgery and stuff, uh, basically every crew member is trying to campaign for what they think is right. And I loved it. Uh, John and Gordon say, no, no, we're not campaigning for anything. We just want to watch a movie with you. Yeah. And it was uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, and there are a lot of pop culture references. Yes. There was reference to not only Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there was uh, references to Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. a couple other shows. Uh, Real Housewives. Yes. Um, Well, and product placement. Avis got the most amazing product placement ever. That was one that really, for me, was right on the fence of, okay, some of this is funny, but really, (laughs) the alien race's god is Avis, and Gordon's doing the Avis. We try harder. Yes. And just... Well, and then after the ship explodes, and he's got an Avis, we've got your vehicle covered. To me, the part with that is this takes place at some point in the future. Yes. And he's familiar with our current day. Yes, he's addicted to 20th century uh, pop culture and trivia. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lucky coincidence. So, uh, they've got some good stuff. Um, Again, like I said, set design, ship design, all of that. Yeah. Uh, They, they... Now, you pointed out something there at the end that I hadn't picked up on, because I like the logo for uh, the Planetary Alliance. So the Planetary, whatever they've got, its logo is essentially, it's in a circle. Uh, It's got like an ovaly thing with uh, kind of like a rocket exhaust kind of going off to each side, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I thought was interesting is... Almost all the characters have the patch on the the uniform. Isaac doesn't. Oh, interesting. But the command one is the same logo as for the the United Federation or whatever they're calling it. The Planetary Alliance, whatever. I know it's got planetary in it. Whatever their federation is called. Yes. And that's the thing is there's so many parallels. It's hard not to... It's hard to bother to learn their terms. And it's bad on me and I apologize. Well, now I will say, and you're right, that... It looks like rockets in the center of it. But to me, it also kind of looks like two hands coming together. And then kind of the streaks being the arm coming okay. out, which is part of why I liked it. To me, it was a good both peace and uh, future and travel. Future logo. and travel, uplifting. It's got 
Yeah. Positive connotations, we'll say. Yeah. The engineering one is two gears. Yeah, I liked it. Hard to argue with that one. That's nice. Yeah. The medical one Mm -hmm. is a cross made of basically like a box in the middle with a a thing that's going up, over, and down with a little particle kind of a thing. It's almost like a little electron kind of a deal. And it's, it's you know, on the, the four sides or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a medical technology yeah. kind of a symbol. If they've got others, I would be hard-pressed to tell you what they are. No, because blue, red, and green are all I've really been aware of. And that's what you just covered. And the part that got me was it implies that the, the command structure is, is part of this, this United Planetary Alliance or whatever. Mm-hmm. The others, not so much. They don't get to use that logo. Or command is like Planetary Alliance command. I mean, it just, until you point that out to me, I hadn't really thought about kind of they're the top tier of this Planetary Alliance. What it is evocative to in my mind, and it may just be coincidence, in the original Trek, the Enterprise had its own logo, as did every other ship in the fleet. Okay, so the the Chevron kind of a thing, mm-hmm. that was the Enterprise. A star emblem or whatever was uh, whichever other ship or what have you. Now, apparently there's a uh, memo in the Smithsonian that came from Paramount saying that that was a goof in an early episode. That it was meant to be the Chevron for every ship. And somebody in one of the uh, like prop departments or something didn't know. So they received a memo after an episode with other ships where they had put... These things on other ships. I hadn't realized that. Saying the Chevron is supposed to be just general Starfleet logo and it's not supposed to be unique to the Enterprise. Huh. Yeah. I took this as akin to that, though. Yeah. And I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, because when, you know, I'm pretty sure it's Smithsonian. I could be wrong on who it was that put it out. But when they, you know, realized, hey, we got this when we got the whole Star Trek exhibit stuff. When they revealed, yeah, this came out back in the 60s within... The yeah. production of, uh, don't do that again. We can't afford to go back and reshoot and fix it. But uh, mm-hmm. that's a one-time only mistake. Hmm. Interesting. Again, though, the attention to detail they've got on this with the uh, the uniforms, mm-hmm. having division logos and, and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. They've thought it through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they know what they kind of like and don't like about Trek and are, are going that way. Well, for me, the first season of any show... They're finding their feet. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a good job. I mean, I I always hope a show will come out fully formed and I'm going to be in love with it from episode one. But I really figure when they start season two is when they should be hitting the ground running. I always think they start out to write the show they want to write. They then write the show they are writing in the next season or something. Then they start to write the show that they think people like about mm. what they're doing. And then they just get almost a little indulgent. Yeah. And, you know. Um, I just think the first season's where they learn a lot of lessons. Absolutely. What works, what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the humor kind of flowing around and settling down comes in on this season. Yeah, I think so too. I think they learned a lot there. And I think by the end of the season, they'd found a much better tone for the humor. Well, and there were parts that didn't work for me, but I don't think it's like, oh my God, this is horrible or anything. Yeah. And that's why I'm really excited about a second season, Mm -hmm. is I think they'll have a little bit more time to sit back, reflect, rewatch the shows, 
talk amongst themselves what worked what didn't what do they want to amp up what do they want to tone back where what where do they want to go with the characters yeah exactly because a number of them had a bit of an arc over the course of this season mm-hmm. uh, i'm looking forward to those kinds of arcs continuing um be it in the same way or different ways over a second season yeah so it's um it's a crowded market out there right now this is one of many ship-based sci-fi shows to be watching and uh, particularly going up against Discovery, uh, there are parts of this that I feel are more Trek than the current Star Trek show. I was going to say, if I had to choose one or the other, I think I'd lean more towards this. This gives me more of what I look for from Trek. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there are certain parts of Discovery I like. There are other parts where it's like, have you not seen Star Trek? Yeah. You're doing this as a prequel and you're going with this direction and we know that doesn't pan out. You went here, that doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. Whereas here they've got a little bit more uh, room, but you could have argued with a f- little bit modification in, in the paint scheme, if you will. This could have taken place at almost any point in the Star Trek lineage. Yeah. You know, they don't really have transporters. You could argue it even could have been pre-Enterprise. Um, but nothing precludes it from being a little later, the the tone, the style, whatever. Mm-hmm. They've got, again, an informalness that, that makes it seem earlier in the Star Trek lineup because they get more and more um, sterile to a degree in terms of social interaction. Yeah. But, you know, when you've got Discovery that's, in theory, set 10 years before Kirk and company in the original series, and they're throwing, like, disco parties or whatever, it's like, this, this just doesn't feel like Trek, and it looks like next-gen, not like old-school Trek. Yeah. Again, when they did some of the close-ups in some of the last episode or two to the uh, engineering console or whatever, it's like, dude, if if is not working on this, I'd be surprised. Mm. It's certainly yeah. one of his disciples. Yeah. Uh, and it looks great. They, yes. Again, did some good stuff, but it's very um, iconic Trek. Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't have any problem with that. I'm a big fan of Star Trek. Exactly. And if they can tell stories along those lines that you just, for whatever reason, couldn't tell in Star Trek, more power to them. Yeah. And again, I think the social commentary level we've, we're getting here is probably higher than we've gotten out of Star Trek in ages. Yeah. And I like that part of it. Yeah, so uh, it gives you not just meat to the episodes, but a little something to come out thinking about. Yeah. yeah. It tosses something you're familiar with in a, a different light and gives you, again, uh, uh, food for thought. Yeah. And I, I think Seth MacFarlane should be very proud of the show he's put together. So do I. And uh, I hope he continues to, to push and challenge both his writing staff, his, his uh, actors and stuff, the, the other creators behind the scenes, set, props, uh, wardrobe, um, because something that I felt initially might have been a one-note thing is way richer than that. Yeah. And I want to see them go for... A good couple of years and continue to just kind of step up their game. Not yeah. by leaps and bounds, but if they just incrementally keep doing it, like I felt they did over the season, mm-hmm. man, the stuff we'll be getting uh, next season, third season, fourth season, etc., we'll just knock our socks off, I hope. Well, and by the end of the season, to me, they had proven that the one hour format was the right call. Yes. So I'm glad they did that. Yeah. One of the things I do think would be fun for them to do in the span of uh, an episode or something, if they could find a way to do it right, a walkthrough of the ship. Yes, that'd be nice. I gotta say, the captain and the first officer have pretty roomy quarters. Well, I like how they're two-story quarters, too. Yeah. So just one of the things I like about 
Firefly and also about Star Trek uh, on the various ships is you get a sense. It's like, I may not know which deck I'm on, but I know if I'm going to, you know, how the corridors are more or less laid out and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't take advantage of the, the marketing and licensing possibilities. Yeah. Deck plans, role-playing game, uh, uh, things of that sort. Yeah. They, they should. They've, they've got a good property here. Yeah, I agree. So anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.